Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Handling peanuts from a car. <laughs> God Almighty. The quote that says here, <laughs> he's there in his uniform and he's hawking peanuts, for God's sake, said one staffer. He goes from door to door in the Capitol office building. I buy from him. After all, you never know where his boss is going to end up. All right, please. What do you heard? All right, let's give me that kazoo here. enough of that there. Uh, that was done purposely. We have a note here from a lady who says, Dear Mr. Shepard, your kazoo playing leaves me cold. That's exactly why I did it. like to see the old gal chilled up there a little bit. Oh, I'm a sheik of Araby. Your love belongs to me. At night when you're asleep into your tent. Listen, I know some fantastic lyrics to that piece of music, which I, of course, cannot sing on the radio. Due to the fact, uh, well, you know how the radio is. <laughs> and I will be glad to send you these lyrics if you are over 21 and are a qualified lover of the Baroque. So uh, please send me a postcard marked Baroque Esoterica. We don't want to give the Postal Department any wrong ideas. Just uh, mention Baroque Esoterica and we will send you the real lyrics to that song. I'm the Sheik of Araby. That guy selling peanuts door to door. Well, he's probably laying a little nest egg aside there. Now, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I won't tell you this. I uh, Anybody who writes to me and says, you don't find anything funny in the news today isn't reading the papers. Yeah, either that or you're, you're reading the papers with wrong glasses. Uh, you, you, if you look carefully at the news, it's almost impossible to find anything serious, actually, in the news today. I have a suspicion uh, that... Uh, Large numbers of people really are taking Watergate seriously. 
Oh, I'm the sheik of Araby. <laughs> oh no, I think I think that uh, that uh, it was necessary. If there hadn't been a Watergate, we'd have made we'd have invented one. It, it, absolutely, it's you know like uh, like they say, if there hadn't been a Bulgaria, Europe would have been forced to invent one. You haven't heard that expression? Well, you certainly as hell have now. So go around denying you heard it. You heard it. And uh, there is an old expression like that that Yugoslavians say. I'm not uh, here to speak Yugoslavian to you because my accent is rather one of the uh, upper northern accents of Yugoslavian to make confuse the natives out there. However, I will say this, that uh, if there hadn't been a Watergate, we'd have, been, we'd have invented one. Because we are a crisis society today. We've got to have a crisis or we feel uncomfortable. I'm very serious when I say that, uh, that if, if all of a sudden, tomorrow morning, all the trouble that, that you hear about in the news constantly was, was somehow magically solved, overnight, magically, zap, and I would come Walter Cronkite, say at 7 o'clock, he'd say, well, I have a very difficult thing to say to you here tonight, but there's absolutely no, nothing wrong today. Nobody got shot. Uh, there was no crisis in the Middle East. In fact, the Israelis and the Syrians are exchanging nosegays. Uh, there was dancing in the streets in Moscow today. Uh, nobody tried to immigrate from uh, Moscow. I don't know what to, what to say here. However, we do have a, a pretty interesting weather report. It's going to be good weather everywhere in the world tomorrow. I don't know what to say about that. And uh, I'll tell you what I can do tonight. I can tell you some jokes. We've got a lot of great jokes around here. They've been telling the men's room up here at CBS. And I, I'd, I'd like to tell you some jokes. So before that, let's have a word from Alpo here. And I'll be right back with the favorite jokes of the newsroom here at CBS. Well, the whole country would be in an uproar. Because most people today's substance and sustenance is crises. And it goes back, I can't remember, it goes back, uh, it goes back to, I would say that anybody under roughly a hundred years old <laughs> wouldn't you say roughly under a hundred years old there is no living person who can remember when it wasn't one continual crisis after another and each crisis incidentally was heralding the end of the nation as we know it as they always say that you know the end of the, it's all coming about and uh, I, I don't know anybody that can remember when we weren't uh, having a monster crisis one kind or another and it looked for a minute there, after the Vietnam War was over, it looked for a minute like we wouldn't have anything to hang on to. But the, <laughs> the roses are back in the cheeks. The comics are still working the bad nightclubs. And uh, I, I, I say also that showbiz, now this may not, uh, this may not uh, have uh, been brought to your attention, but showbiz has a vested interest today in crisis. I'm very serious. You may not know this, but... But vast areas of showbiz are dependent upon crisis for their continuance, their very lifeblood. <laughs> now, I'm very serious, very serious. You think I'm kidding. That very serious that, that, uh, that uh, it, it looked t terrible for a large amount of marginally gifted comics. When I say marginally, they were only gifted with a sharp agent. I'm not talking about being gifted with talent. Uh, <laughs> that uh, it looked very bad about 1970, 72 for large numbers of comics 
you know, uh, because it was really looking bad. The, the Vietnamese war was over, and uh, LBJ was off the scene, and, uh, you know, it just really looked, looked, looked like rotten times ahead. And uh, there, was, there was a lot of casting around. And a lot of guys suddenly tried to tell jokes about mother-in-laws, and, you know, that, that absolutely laid an egg. And then, then they tried to tell jokes about, uh, uh, about their eczema, and that laid an egg, too, because too many in the audience had it, too. And uh, one thing led to the next, and all of a sudden, of course, Watergate hit the fan, and they, it was just, it was just uh, peaches and cream now. <laughs> now, now I, I'd like to also point out that once you have a vested interest in a crisis, you have a vested interest in keeping it going. Let's face that, too. And, and, uh, and I'm not saying that we don't have a crisis, because once you say there is no crisis in America, you are automatically assailed on all sides as being, one, irrelevant, two, out of it, three, uh, of a wrong generation, either young or too old or whatever the hell it is. But the point is you've got to always concede there is a crisis at all times to maintain your standing as a good, true, blue, 100% relevant with it American. Do you agree? And I've known people, I'll tell you, I've known people who... Uh, uh, my my knowledge and uh, experience with the crisis people. Incidentally, that'd be a good name for them, the crisis people, uh, the people who have a whole collection of badges, uh, going all the way back to the. You remember the old band, the Bomb Crowd? That was such a great crowd. That was, uh, yeah, I know guys that have got buttons ranging all the way from Band the Bomb, which goes way back, through the Strontium Ninety Days. That was a great crew too. That was really, yeah, you know. But it's often the same people. All the way on up through LBJ, how many rotten things did you do today? Uh, they've got that. Uh, free Harvey Oswald. Uh, <laughs> all the way on up to impeach Alistair Cook, which is today, of course, one of the prominent movements in America. And uh, I know guys, yes, I know guys that have got, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, they've got uh, uh, patchwork quilts, which uh, they sleep under every night, that are made of banners and uh, slogan banners and uh, protest banners of all the various great parties they've attended in the past. And if all of a sudden you were to blow the whistle on a thing like that, it's just like telling a sport fan that there's no sports anymore. No, very seriously, because with most people, crisis is a form of sport. It's good guys against bad guys. It's our team, the good guys, against their team, the rotten guys. And and, uh, and if, if tomorrow morning somebody was to blow the whistle and say, okay, no more football, baseball, soccer, all that stuff, it's all over. It's all over. Now we're just going to stand around and talk and read books. Well, uh, there would be a, a, a great and sudden depression settle over millions of people. And, uh, of course, a couple of years ago I predicted on this very, very, this very microphone, this same sad, cheap Sears Roebuck microphone we got here, the one we got uh, for Christmas that time. The station got a new tape recorder a few years ago from Sears, and they got the microphone with it. It was a Christmas present. And uh, this is WOR in New York, friends. Uh, this very same microphone, I predicted that there would be ultimately year-round pro football. I was laughed at. Okay. I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> I'm just going to say... <laughs> That, that And after immediately after the Vietnamese War, I also predicted that there would be another giant crisis. Uh, and, and I predict that when Watergate is all shaken down, and it will be, it'll eventually be, let's face it, although I think this type of crisis now is a permanent crisis, 
so most of us can look forward to a rich, full life ahead of uh, of Watergate disclosures. And uh, yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And by the way, speaking of looking forward, we'd like to point out here that on Monday, the 17th of June, Madison Square Garden will present its most exciting boxing card of the year. Joe Fraser and Jerry Quarry, two of the hardest punchers in the game today, according to this copy, will meet in a 12-round heavyweight elimination bout. An elimination bout. What do they mean by that? Well, anyway, this is a return of their epic fight of the year, which happened in 1969. I hate to point out that's five years ago. The co-featured attraction will be a telecast live and in color of the World Light Heavyweight Championship battle between the current titleist Bob Foster and Jorge Uhamada, the Flash from Argentina. Hot dog. The first bouts get underway at 8.30. Tickets for this outstanding boxing program on June 17th are available at the Madison Square Gardens Center Box Office and all Ticketron outlets. Hit them before they're still quivering. Come to be in the audience. There's much every day. But I think I'm going to let these guys sing it. It's how you live. Jeffrey Bean says the color of cool is coral. Eagle's white is right. 3G's tones are tropical. Palm Beach beats the heat with spirited eye-catching colors that go with everything. The who's who at B&B Lorries have painted summer of 74 your way. For comfort, they've cut the sun down to size in luxury, wrinkle-free lightweights that are not just cut to perfection, they're cut to live in. And not just suits and sport coats, but in all the exciting new duos, trios, ensembles, and sportswear coordinates. The value's outstanding and everything's easily charged. Flawlessly fitted right in the B&B lorries you shop in. Summer of 74, your way. See it from the beginning at all 15 B&B lorry stores, Tress Green Acres, Zimmerman's Rutherford, and Scott Barry, Mount Gisco. Come to B&B lorries. Come to B&B lorries. He walks the high iron. 50 stories above the teeming city streets. And all his steps are very serious. The wind whistles and screams, and on a clear day, there are no shadows. He lives his life to the fullest, because the high iron makes no friends. So when that whistle blows and his time's his own, he knows he's paid the full price for his freedom. And now's the moment to appreciate it, with a cold glass of beer. If you got the time. Company of, uh, let's see, uh, Milwaukee, of course. Uh, that's, uh, no, that's not Minnesota. It's Wisconsin, isn't it? Hey. You better drink that stuff after work and not before. Speaking of drinking here, we uh, would like to uh, play a little Punta Maze on you. Uh, what is Punta Maze? Well, it's a beautiful before lunch or uh, before dinner drink. Let's see, before lunch or before dinner. That means you can drink at any time. Um, <laughs> made with Carpano Classico Vermouth, the world's oldest and finest vermouth since 1786. You pour it over to Rockies or with soda and a slice of orange, and it's a great drinky poo on a really hot day. It's called Punta Maze. Punt. 
You know, spelled punt, P-O-N-T, like you go back your eight-yard line and try to get rid of one quick. Punt maze, punt, P-U-N-T, little e-m-e-s. That's big m-e-s, punt maze. Oh, yes, we have a note here. It says it's imported by Caroline Importers, LTD of New York. La-da-da-doo-doo. Well, we have another commercial here, a very quick one, and then we'll get back to life. And the commercial here deals with Backpacker, which is a magazine. And if you're into camping and all that kind of stuff, hanging around there. Did you, I, I don't know whether these guys recognize the fact that there is such a thing as the decadent camper. Uh, decadent, decadent, like the fall of Rome. You know about that? Yes, uh, the decline of the West. Decadent. That uh, it is commonly believed among people who do not believe, you know, who don't know much about camping, that everybody who goes camping is clean-limbed, you know, leaping out of the sack at six in the morning and doing push-ups and running around out in the woods and picking daisies and stuff. Well, there's another type of camper. We'll go into that later after the kids are in bed. Send your name and address to Backpacker <laughs> if you'd like to find out about camping. 25 West 43rd Street. New York 10036, and they'll put you on the list of subscribers. They'll enter your name and bill you as a new subscriber, starting with the fall issue, and they'll get uh, one of the current issues in the mail to you free. That's the summer issue, of course. Uh, it's $2.50 an, an issue, incidentally. Uh, so it's uh, going to cost you seven fifty if you do it that way. Even then, you save money because you get that current issue free. Now, uh, if you'd like to save a little money, send your check or money order... Just send it right out without the bill. Just send it right out to Backpacker for $6, and you'll save a buck and a half, and you'll also get the current issue free anyway. And do not make your checks available to me because they've already discovered what will happen if I get them. So you just make your checks available and payable to Backpacker. That's one word, Backpacker, 25 West 43rd Street, New York. Right. Okay, it's a good magazine, beautiful magazine. You know, speaking of... Uh, of, uh, you know, if I can get get the get back to this uh, the issue here of uh, of the crisis oriented society that we live in, uh, we do have a great uh, taste for it. And don't don't uh, don't think I'm being facetious. I really mean that. I think that uh, that if uh, if tomorrow morning, I think with the explosion of media which has occurred in the last uh, oh seven hundred years, the explosion. Yes, it has. <laughs> don't think it. Don't think media just started out last week, do you? <laughs> There's a guy named Gutenberg fooling around with what they call movable type. And uh, that began the whole damn thing. At, uh, the transition from the quill pen to mo movable type uh, established a whole new business. And uh, when you were, you know, when guys were messing around with quill pens, when those monk fellers were sitting in the abbey there illumining manuscripts, well, they do, they aluminum, the, you know, aluminum and the manuscripts. And uh, you sit there with the gold leaf and all that kind of stuff. There wasn't much of a market for books. Uh, I mean, in, in fact, uh, the book was just a matter, really, of, a, of an abstract concept at that point. And, uh, and you know, it, it gave the monk something to do. And it, uh, more than that, yes, it did. It, it keeps, uh, yeah, after all, there's an expression among many monks that uh, idle hands are the tools of the devil. Monks used to say this a lot. They don't anymore now. Now, I, I, I know two defrocked monks now are working full-time for the devil, as a matter of fact. And <laughs> it's the truth. I, I mean, you think I'm kidding. I do know a defrocked monk now 
who's gone into the devil's service. So, uh, and I'm not here to make a value judgment. You may be a devil fan yourself. I don't know. I'm not going to put your religion down. Uh, but then, <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> there was a there was an idea that uh, you know a couple of thousand years ago that if you if you sat around and had nothing to do, the next thing you know, you're going to be doing bad stuff. And uh, there's a there's a certain modicum of uh, truth in that. Do you agree? But now, if you can do away with the concept of bad stuff, that really seriously means that anything you damn well do is all right. That's called the destruction of morality, which occurred around 794 and uh, has been going on at, a, at an increasing rate ever since. We've almost done away with it completely now, and man is totally happy. He can do any damn well thing he wants. You know, blow up his neighbor, firebomb his friends, Winnebago, uh, whatever he feels like doing, and he can always say it's a protest against the rottenness of the world, of which, of course, he's part, uh, obviously. <laughs> That's known as the SLA syndrome, friends. So, March, stand forward. Uh, pull in your gut, and do you mind if I blow my kazoo once more here for that nice lady out there in Queens? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm a she, 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 Calera B. And you love baby belongs to me. At night when you're asleep, into your tent I'm gonna sleep. All the stars above will light away, will light away to my That's enough. Cut it out, will you? Hey. It's like an out-of-control vacuum cleaner. Well, uh, <laughs> I just had to do it. Now, you know, you, 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 you sit around, you know, you think about, uh, what what is your favorite? Uh, seriously, now, Herb, you and uh, Dave, I'd like to ask you guys, uh, this is our vast, uh, uh, this is our vast, unbiased, unprejudiced poll corporation here at work. And uh, what in recent years is your favorite crisis? Uh, do you do you look back on any crisis with a certain tinge of nostalgia? 
Do you? Uh, seriously. Well, now, now, don't think for a minute that I'm kidding when I say that people look back with, ultimately, with sentiment and with nostalgia and with affection and love for past crises. If you think I'm kidding, I'll give you some illustrations. There are thousands of people today who are looking back on the world depression of the 1930s with a great deal of nostalgia. And in fact, uh, uh, guys have made an entire history, uh, their own personal history, and uh, fortune on that particular nostalgia. I know one, a friend of mine, Studs Turkles, an old friend of mine. Studs has made his, his whole life, <laughs> and, and a hell of a nice living, too, selling nostalgia of the Depression to people. And, you know, they looked, oh, those were, the, those were the days. And one thing about this sad, uh, sick thing called nostalgia is that it's, it has its own curious, uh, totally uncontrollable myths. Among them, one of the myths of nostalgia is people used to be nicer. This is one of the great myths. I mean, you know, great people they used to have in the past, like uh, Attila the Hun, uh, Hitler, Himmler, uh, Joseph Goebbels, all those great people. That <laughs> and no, this, this is part of the nostalgia. And, and uh, it's, it's the myth. It's, it's one of the it's sad myths of mankind that, uh, that those who deal with myths... You know, most people, when they think in terms of myths, they think of the... They think of the classical myth, you know, the Greek myths, uh, the Icelandic sagas. You don't know about the Icelandic sagas? <laughs> I get that blank look from her. What the hell kind of school did you go to? But, uh, <laughs> well, after all, dentistry by mail, I suppose, is all right, Herb, if you enjoyed it. But uh, nevertheless, uh, my, my, uh, my contention is that Given a few uh, moments uh, to, uh, to allow the immediate pain to subside, people will then reverse their entire beliefs and begin to look back on any particular crisis with affection. How about those uh, fools and knaves who lack, look back upon World War II as a real groovy war? <laughs> and they do. You, you meet these, these fools, you know, that, that walk around and uh, look back at it, oh, those were the days, oh, wow. And, uh, of course, guys were getting blown up by the minute, billions of guys all over the world, oh, those were the great days. And, uh, and, and so this, this has to happen, that eventually, within a very uh, finite period in time, and I, I'm going on record as saying it now, there will be people who will look back upon the Watergate crisis, as we're going through now, as one of America's finest hours. Uh, oh yes, out of that, out of that fire of Watergate came a stronger, marching forward nation, and people were more honest back in the Watergate days. They got up and they really said the truth about the world and the country. And boy, we had fighting, hard-hitting, angry senators who walked right in there. And I can just see them twenty years from now talking about the good old Watergate days. And they'll have little buttons. They'll have Watergate uh, survivors conventions. And uh, <laughs> and and of course, Watergate's created its own uh, its own stars, uh, just like any uh, crisis creates stars, uh, and they're very hot on the lecture circuit. Uh, there's stars making that circuit all the time, and of course, uh, it's it's a terrible thing when when uh, all of a sudden the rug is yanked out from underneath the whole 
premise of your act. The whole spine is yanked out. If tomorrow morning they threw the whole crowd in jail, and that was the end of it, locked the door, and we, we walked on to the next series of uh, chicaneries, whoever, you know. <laughs> I know at least 15 guys who would be stranded in Oshkosh, uh, Watergate lecturers. Yeah. It's all over. What do you mean it's over? What, what are them things doing now? I could hear the guy on his phone back to calling his agent back in New York. What do you mean the Watergate thing is over? Why, I'm booked all the way up until next November. Who cancel? What do you mean cancel? What kind of agent are you? Well, I knew all I had to do was leave New York and you would let the whole thing go to pot. What's the matter with William Morris? Why aren't they keeping this thing going? <laughs> well, I... I and, of course, this will be interpreted by many of you as thinking that Shepard is either one pro-Nixon or two anti-Nixon. Uh, three uh, pro-Watergate or four anti-Watergate. Five uh, irrelevant, two relevant. Three over the hill, five under the hill. Uh, six. <laughs> no, I guess a lot of people are not aware of, of what a big business there is. It started about the late 50s. Are you aware of that? In the business, it started roughly the late 50s where current crisis, whatever the crisis was in America, even if it was an imaginary crisis, where current crisis was the spine of much of show business and very, very lucrative, extremely lucrative. In fact, I know one guy that made, well, listen to this one, I know one guy himself that made almost two and a half million dollars, believe it or not, over... Sherman Adams, and do you recall Sherman Adams? Sherman Adams and the so-called uh, uh, deep freeze scandals. <laughs> now, you don't know about that? Well, see, that's, that was an earlier Watergate, and uh, that was one of the very first moments where showbiz realized that it had been ignoring a fantastic gold mine. Unbelievable gold mine, because up to 1955 or six or something like that in that area there, a uh, crisis was a crisis, you know, <laughs> that was the end of it. But uh, but showbiz then suddenly realized it was, you know, tremendous money to be made, LPs for one. Oh, Maui, I mean, uh, uh, and and uh, they they rounded up every every two-bit comic they could get to do an LP on Sherman Adams. And uh, from that time on, it was Nellie by the door. And I, I listen. I know one guy over in Jersey. Talk about getting caught short, but he's done pretty good now. Uh, talking about uh, getting caught short, uh, a, a couple of years ago, this guy had a warehouse full of uh, almost four hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, bumper stickers. Yeah, you know it's not cheap to, to print up all those bumpers to get with that sticky paper in the back and all that stuff. See. That's kind of expensive printing. And he had a warehouse full of this stuff, and it all said, impeach LBJ. And then all of a sudden, that think LBJ, right in the middle of this guy's, uh, his biggest sales promotion, LBJ up and said, I quit and left. Well, here he was stuck for a long time there. He was in trouble, and he was wandering around, and, and all he could do was pay the rent on the, on the warehouses. Nobody was interested in buying his stickers, and so he walked around, and then all of a sudden, this crisis happened, and all he did was print over the LBJ, and now it says, <laughs> oh, the guy's living on a yacht off the Bahamas now. He's having a hell of a time. So I, must, uh, I might point out that there's a lot of 
of business that goes into this thing. And uh, uh, it, it, uh, it's, it's big business today, big business. In fact, uh, I have a friend at one of the major publishing houses, and, uh, oh, he's feeling so good. I said, the, the, they, they, had a, they had a real bad period here about the, the, right at the end of the 70s there, or rather at the end of the 60s, early 70s. They were, you know, it was a big slump in, uh, in publishing. And, and the other day I had lunch with them, and, oh, he's fat and happy, and he's grinning, and, oh, God, you know, he's just so. And I said, to, and we, we ate at a, at a restaurant where it cost you $7 just to sit down. That doesn't mean eat or anything. We, you know, they, so we, he was, you know, he was laying it out. He says, don't worry about it. He says, uh, company's picking it up. And I said, gee, Harold, this is fantastic. What happened? These guys were scratching. In fact, they were scratching so much in the uh, early 70s that they were asking their authors for money, uh, which was quite a, a switch. Yes. So I sat there with him, and I said, Harold, what's happening? He said, oh, God, am I so glad. And I said, what's the matter? Harold, you look just great. I mean, you were looking worried last time I saw you. He says, oh, thank God for Watergate and Nixon. We are really in the business now. We're making more money. We know what to do with. In fact, we're buying foreign real estate. We bought half of Japan. Uh, we're buying a television station in, in Latvia. We're just investing our money. All oh, that's just fantastic. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we have 742 books last week alone on Watergate. And uh, he said, just unbelievable. And I said, well, you mean they're buying it? Oh, yeah. He says, a crisis fan will buy a book, a book a minute. He says, and <laughs> he said, he says, they're, they're more dedicated to buy books on their favorite crisis than your average diet book fan is. He said, uh, we, have, we have some people who bought over 500 diet books in the last month and a half, the same person. And uh, I said, well, gee, that's, that's interesting, Harold. And he said, yep. He said, thank God for Watergate. And <laughs> so he went out singing. <laughs> and I said, well, that's kind of nice. He said, yeah. He said, we, we didn't really think it was going to be as commercial as it is. He said, but, boy, it's really hit big. He said, this is bigger than Vietnam. He's bigger than Vietnam. He said, you know, as a matter of fact, he said, that's what almost sunk us. I said, what do you mean, Harold? He said, well, we had three warehouses in Delaware alone full of uh, Vietnam books when those finks went out and declared peace on us. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, well, we got back at them now. So uh, things are going good. And uh, for those of you that are crisis fans, uh, we'd like to point out that there's a, a, a real open fist fight that's breaking out in Madison Square Garden. And you can pay to see it. Uh, one of the most exciting boxing cards of the year. Monday, the 17th, Joe Fraser and Joe Jerry Quarry, two of the hardest punchers in the game today, will meet in a 12-round heavyweight elimination bout. I guess that presumes one of them will be eliminated, right? This is a return of their epic fight of the year in 1969. Shoot, that right, we can get, you know, they can get the Dempsey back. Why can't Dempsey fight Joe Lewis? in a rematch of the fight they never had in 1923. It'd be kind of exciting. Anyway, tickets for this outstanding boxing program on June 17th are available at the Madison Square Garden Center box office. It's Madison Square Garden Center box office, right? All ticket trial outlets. That's the 17th of June. Hey, you know, that brings up an idea. Well, you want to know what the idea is? Okay. Showbiz is a curious thing these days. It really, it's, and one of the most, uh, one of the most, I would have to say, continually lucrative areas of showbiz is nostalgia. Now, you've heard me say this before, but the, has it occurred to you that nostalgia plays a large 
role in sports. For example, what do you th what do you think Old Timers Day is? You know, 74 million people go out, you know, to see Mickey Mantle walk around and get another cup, and then he goes back and sits down. And uh, I don't know what, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm just waiting for one guy to say, well, what the hell is this? We only bring these guys out one day uh, a year, and 175 million people crowd the ballpark to see him. Why don't we sign? Of course. What are we doing with all these Humpty Dumpties that are playing ball out there? You know, all these, these little scurrying guys running around out there with 175 batting averages. I have never seen so many 175 hitters in my life as that are playing ball these days. Un unbelievable. <laughs> and they're all being touted by Frank Messer. Have you noticed that? I mean, he has the firmest grasp of the cliché of any guy I've ever heard in my life. Don't you know who Frank Messer is? He's always saying things, Phil, isn't it really good to see youngsters out here at the ballpark? What a cliché. What a bomber. That sounds like the editorial of this month's Reader's Digest. You know, hard-hitting editorial. And, and he says such dumb things, like, like for example, the other day, you see this guy, see, he's, he's up to bat, see, big, you know, guy's chewing tobacco and he's kicking the dirt down there, see, and uh, he's, he's a, a pinch hitter. And this is one of the reasons why baseball is becoming sort of a joke, uh, because I think the announcers that they have today make it a joke. Really, I, I, I firmly believe that almost any sport, the excitement in the sport is almost directly related to the way it's presented by the by the broadcasters now here's a typical example of dumbness in baseball here's this guy walking around it he's he's coming up the bats he's a pinch hitter and he's a mean looking man i want to tell you he's about six feet two weighs about 290 pounds and he's got a jowl on him you know and he's spitting tobacco juice and he steps in in a box and he whips that louisville slugger around a couple of times and the pitcher's out there, and what he, what he, he up, in the, up in the booth, he'd see, is Frank Messer, see. And uh, <laughs> at that point, at that point, the pitcher winds up, and he lays in his slider, see. And this guy swings at a low inside pitch, and he belts it, he gulfs it, see. He hit a line drive man that would have undressed a flagpole. You know, he really popped it. He zapped. And it just right out in the right field, see, two bounces out to the right fielder, and the right fielder goes, he barely was able to field it before it got by him. He hit it that hard, see. And this guy comes skidding to first base in a cloud of dust. He turns around, he spits some tobacco juice, and what do you think Messer says? Well, he said, there's a happy youngster down at first. Can you imagine a, 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 a pinch hitter for the New York Yankees? A catcher at that being called a happy youngster. <laughs> you know, I thought to myself, oh my God, a happy youngster is down at first base. And, and, and this is baseball. No, always, everybody's sort of a youngster and all that. Everything's kind of, uh, it's not a hard, tough game. It's, it's youngsters trying to get a hit. It's, a, it's kind of an offshoot of Little League. You know, there's a happy youngster down at first base. This guy's a pro ball player, and uh, you know he's come up through the minor leagues. And if I were that guy, I would go up to the up up to the press box, and I would pop Frank Messer right in the right in the beak. I'd say, "Here's from a happy youngster, Frank." You know. <laughs>
<laughs> I would I would really resent being called a happy youngster after I singled. And uh, I mean, even if you're five, the point is you're playing with the New York Yankees and you're a relief catcher, man. And there is nothing tougher than a major league catcher. Do you agree? This guy happened to be a catcher. Well, I heard that phrase, and I says it would never occur to a guy who's doing football, say, for example. Can you imagine this tight end, uh, you know, playing with the uh, with the Milwaukee? Let's say he's playing with the with the Dolphins, right? This tight end. He goes, he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes whipping down the sideline scene. He makes his cut, and at that point, Bob Greasy clotheslines a pass 37 yards down downfield. He leaps high in the air. He grabs it, and he makes seven steps to his left. He cuts to his right, and four tackles hit him. See, and at that point, the announcer says, "Well, on air is a happy youngster. He just caught that patch. Look at him down there grinning. What a happy! No way." There ain't no youngsters playing pro football. There's either good football players or bad ones. And I might say, Frank Messer, there ain't no youngsters playing pro baseball. There's either 175 hitters or there's the guys that win pennants. By the way, that's that's changed baseball a lot. When they keep flashing on on the screen underneath the guy that's up at bat, what his batting average is. That's enough for you to turn to the other channel, you know. <laughs> 742 times at bat, 12 hits, one RBI, batting 0097. What a hell of a glove, man. If they started to do that under football players, you know, they <laughs> you see this guy running out for a pass, and then he's smeared, and underneath it it says, uh, Big Charlie Watanabe, seven fumbles, 14 missed punts, uh, seven... <laughs> <laughs> Gene Shepard finishes another show in scintillating wit. There's a happy youngster sitting by the microphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for John Wingate. Direct report on rough situation tonight in South Jamaica, Queens. Young people and police involved. Lester Smith from the Democratic Party Convention. Three and a half million cheer president in Egypt as Senate support grows for Dr. K. Behavior behind the news. Dr. Salvatore Donato gives you the psychological view of the former mental patient and of the girl he held hostage in Queens. It's 10 o'clock in New York, and this is John Wingate with the Wingate News Digest. You, your money, street trouble tonight. Prices, people... Medicine, all to come. This is Hugh Downs with another car buyer's report from Ford. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.